All throughout the Bible, we hear about good news. We hear this from the Old Testament declarations of some hungry lepers on through to the accounts of the New Testament apostles. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're currently studying the life of the prophet Elisha, as it's found in 2 Kings. This week is the beginning of our second half of study called A Good King is Hard to Find. Today is a good day, as we have much to be thankful for, including being well provided for, and with that, the fact that salvation can be found in Jesus Christ. Well, Phil, in today's message, you're going to stress the importance of sharing the good news found in Jesus Christ and in the gift of salvation. But what do you say to those believers who run into a roadblock and say, I'm not gifted with the ability to evangelize? You know, actually, Mark, I think that's true of most Christians. There are some Christians who have what the Bible would describe as a gift of evangelism. It just seems like they're leading people to Christ every opportunity they, they have. But many of us are not so gifted in evangelism. And we need to understand that even if we don't have a special gift for evangelism, we are nevertheless called to share our faith. And there's a sense in which the Great Commission is for every believer. And the question is, are we going to be obedient to Jesus Christ in sharing the good news of his grace? What then are some of the best ways we can tell non-believers about the good news? Well, Mark, I think a lot of times people think they have to do the whole work of persuading somebody to become a Christian. I think it's often helpful just to think in terms of introducing people to Jesus. In the conversation that I'm having with somebody at work or somebody in my neighborhood, can I share enough about my own faith in Christ so that at the end of that conversation, they know a little bit more about the gospel than they did at the beginning of that conversation. I mean, that's a goal that we should be pursuing. And if we are willing to do that kind of sharing, then God can use that. But we have to give the Holy Spirit something that he can use. And the most useful thing is to speak to people with something from the scriptures. That's the thing that God really uses to bring people to faith in Christ. Thanks, Phil. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, and listen to God's word for us today. Well, I don't know if you have ever had donkey's head for dinner before, but it is not very tasty. I say this not from any personal experience, but because, as we discover, the Bible goes into sticker shock over the price that it was fetching in the Sumerian markets. The Syrians had laid siege to Samaria, and there was a great famine in the city, and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. And really, there ought to be an exclamation mark in the Bible at that point. 80 shekels for donkey's head. Now, one does not have to have a degree from the Wharton School of Business to recognize here the principle of supply and demand. There was no supply of food, and so demand was sky high. People were willing to pay more than a month's wages, even for the most inedible foodstuffs. Things were so bad in Samaria that even the king himself was helpless. As he was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. In those days, every citizen had the right to appeal to the king for justice. Even 
Before he heard the case, the king knew it had something to do with food and that he could do nothing to help. If the Lord does not help you, he said, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? You see, there was no grain and no wine. Only God could save them now, if even he could. And in the end, in the last days of the siege, the Israelites turned to the most gruesome and inhumane of solutions. As we read in verses 28 to 30, they turned in the end to cannibalism. One woman giving her neighbor a son to eat. As you can imagine, when the king heard this woman's testimony, he tore his robes, and as he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So the king tore his robes in anguish. Famine had reduced the Israelites to absolute degradation, and their king to utter despair. The city of Samaria had become the city of the living dead. And in those last days of the siege, the most desperate men of all were four lepers outside the city gates. We read about them in chapter 7, beginning with verse 3. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, well, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live If they kill us, then we die anyway. As the men considered their options, they realized they had nothing left to lose. And since desperate times call for desperate measures, they decided to take their chances and desert to the enemy. And then the most amazing, the most wonderful thing happened. And I can imagine that these lepers must have spent the rest of their lives laughing about it. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans, and when they reached the camp, not a man was there. The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and a great army in the night, and they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and left their camp just as it was and ran for their lives. Now imagine for a moment the look on the faces of these men as they drew up to the edge of the camp, There, spread before them, was enough food to feed an army. Not just food, tents and horses and donkeys and weapons and armor and silver and gold and food and water. And yet the whole camp was still. Not a soldier was stirring. We can imagine them perhaps blinking their eyes and looking at one another with amazement and then realizing that they were rich beyond their wildest dreams. They experienced, and this is our first of three points, they experienced the surpassing joy of finding good news. The surpassing joy of finding good news. The men who had leprosy entered one of the tents and they ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and did the same. They ran from tent to tent, looting with abandon. It was like the world's biggest shopping spree. They must have been deliriously happy 
eating all of the food they could find and guzzling all the wine and running their fingers through purses of gold and trying on new robes. And the whole giddy experience can be summarized in a single phrase. We find it in verse 9. This is a day of good news. And when we hear those words, we realize that we are being drawn into something deeply spiritual. This is not simply an entertaining or amusing story. This is a message about the way of salvation. It's a story about good news, the kind of good news that God always brings to a dying people. His children are desperate. They are carrying out acts of violence against one another. They are trapped by evil circumstances and surrounded by fierce enemies. They are on the very verge of extinction, and there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. So to paraphrase the king of Israel, if the Lord does not help them, then who can? But you see, the Lord does help them. Single-handedly, miraculously, he drives away all of their enemies, and he feeds them, and he clothes them, and he rescues them from death. And the only thing left for the people of God to do themselves is simply to enter into the surpassing joy of finding good news. Now, you may know that the New Testament uses the same vocabulary to describe what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It calls it good news. And so when the angels sent out Jesus' birth announcements, they said that they had good news. And when Jesus began his ministry of teaching and preaching, he went around preaching the good news of the kingdom. He said, repent and believe the good news. And quoting the prophet Isaiah, he claimed that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to preach the good news to the poor. With all of this good news, it is not surprising that the disciples of Jesus used the very same words. The biblical word, Gospel simply means good news. So when the New Testament begins with the Gospels, it is really beginning with the good news according to Matthew and the good news according to Mark and to Luke and to John. And this good news is the same good news that the lepers heard, only better. It is the true story of how a dying people was delivered by a mighty act of God. We ourselves were surrounded by enemies on every side, sin in one direction and the devil in another and death in every direction. We were afflicted like the lepers with a disease, the disease of fallen humanity. The scripture says we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It says further that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But then God saved us miraculously, single-handedly. He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross. And the good news of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus died for our sins, and that He was buried, and that He was raised again according to the Scriptures. And whenever this good news is proclaimed as it now is, This is a day of good news. 
We learn from the example of these lepers that whoever receives this good news, that is to say, whoever receives Jesus Christ experiences surpassing joy. Joy is what the angels promised when Jesus was born. They said they had good news of great joy that will be for all people. Joy is what the disciples of Jesus experienced when they met the risen Christ. You may remember how two of them walked back to Emmaus with the Lord, not recognizing who he was, and how the Lord explained to them all that was said in the Scriptures concerning himself, and then how he broke bread for them before he was taken from their presence. What the Scripture says next is that these disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You know, sometimes there does not seem to be over much joy in the world. We read or we hear about world events and about national affairs, and there is not very much joy in the news. Most of the stories about local affairs are full of sordid details. Then there are the unpleasant circumstances of our own lives, and yet, in spite of it all, there is deep and lasting joy for everyone who receives the good news about Jesus Christ and in him receives deliverance from sin and from death. By joy, I do not mean a sort of giddy happiness, but a deep, lasting contentment that comes from knowing that God will make everything turn out all right in the end. Once there was a missionary who went to communist China to teach English. And while he was there, he had the opportunity to give one of his students a Chinese Bible. One night, not long after, he heard a very strange noise coming from the man's room. And so he went to investigate and he knocked on the door and he heard a sort of gurgling, chortling, almost laughing kind of sound. He had never heard a sound like it before in all of his life. The student turned towards him, and the missionary could see that there was a Bible in his hands, and he had tears streaming down his face, and he said, now I know that there is joy in the world. You see, he was reading the good news about Jesus Christ. And when he heard That good news, he experienced that surpassing joy that comes with the good news, and it was simply bubbling up from somewhere deep in his soul and coming out in laughter and the emotions of joy. Now, when a person finds such joy, the good news that brings the joy is meant to be shared. When was the last time that you ever heard good news and then kept it to yourself? Probably never. Good news always travels fast. That's why the lepers started to have second thoughts. As joyful as they were, they had an uneasy feeling that this secret would not keep for long. So they said to each other, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. 
Well, you can guess why the lepers were afraid. Eventually, the word was bound to get out. Someone would figure out that the Arameans had hightailed it all the way out of Samaria. And if the king ever found out that these lepers had kept the good news to themselves, not to mention some of the plunder, their lives would be forfeit. Now, this may seem like a selfish reason to share good news. I think there is something else going on here, for the word for punishment is actually the word for guilt. These men recognized in some way that keeping good news to oneself is a sin. So they felt the urgent necessity of sharing good news, which is our second point this morning, the urgent necessity of sharing good news. The words of these men are a rebuke to every Christian who keeps a silent testimony. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. In his comments on this verse, Alistair Begg, who has spoken here before, warns that in the evangelical church, we have the good news but are more interested in saving it than sharing it. But you see, there is something deeply wrong with a Christian or with a church who does not share the good news. You know, it is really rather silly to spend all your time in the tent counting your money and trying on new clothes without going back to the city to share the good news with everyone else. It is not enough to find good news. It is not enough to enjoy good news. It is not enough even to celebrate the good news. The good news must be shared. And so I say that evangelism is the duty of every Christian. And evangelism is just the word to use, for the New Testament word for gospel is euangelion. That is to say, the evangel. So to evangelize is simply to share the gospel, to give the good news to someone else. All of these words mean the same thing. The example of the lepers shows the urgent necessity of sharing the gospel. It is not right to keep the good news to oneself. And this for two reasons. First, because other people, quite literally, are dying to hear the good news. Great missionary Hudson Taylor traveled through China to proclaim the good news. And as he went, he met a man who was a Buddhist teacher. And this man had spent many years seeking after the truth. He had studied Confucianism, and he had studied Buddhism, and he had studied Taoism, but he did not find the truth until he heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And then he himself became an evangelist, sharing the news with other Buddhists. Not long after he was converted, he came to Hudson Taylor and asked him how long this gospel, this good news, had been known in England. And he was shocked to discover that it had been known for hundreds of years. What? He said, for hundreds of years you have had these glad tidings and only now have come to preach it to us? My father sought after the truth for more than 20 years and died without finding it. Oh, why did you not come sooner? 
The man's question haunted Taylor, as it must haunt every believer. Why did you not come sooner? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something to share when you get around to it. It has an urgency about it. It demands to be shared from one person to another. And so we are called to pray for the lost and to invite them to church. And when they have difficulty, to ask if we may pray for them and take their burdens before the throne of grace. We are instructed further to share the good news, to speak about spiritual things, and to pray that the Lord would give us those natural opportunities which he always gives to those who ask for them, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. What a person does with this good news once he or she has heard it is a matter between that person and the Lord. But as for them hearing about it in the first place, that is our responsibility. So I say that evangelism is a Christian duty. And I say further that it is not simply a duty, but it is also a joy. And this is a second reason it is not right to keep the good news to yourself, and that is because it will bring as much joy to someone else as it has already brought to you yourself. This is what the lepers discovered. Once they share their good news, it traveled very rapidly. I notice in verse 10 that they went and called out the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the camp and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone. And the gatekeepers shouted the news. You see, they knew what to do with it. And it was reported within the palace. Now, there were skeptics as There always are. The king suspected a trap. He said, I'll tell you what these Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving, and so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking that we will come in, and then they will carry out an ambush. They will take us alive and take our city. Well, what do you think of the king's response? Was it right for him to doubt the good news? People do want to investigate good news for themselves. However shrewd this king thought that he was, in the end, those simple people who heard and believed turned out to be right. And it is much the same way with the good news of the gospel. The claims of Jesus Christ cannot be held off forever. Either Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, or he isn't. You can't have it both ways. And if he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, then standing back and waiting for better evidence than God has already given is not shrewd, but very foolish. It occurs to me that there are no skeptics and there are no agnostics in hell. No, only their sworn enemies of God who have become, to their own dismay, fully convinced of the reality of God and the necessity of having come to Jesus Christ. And in the very end of all, it is those simple people who hear and believe the good news who will be proved right. Well, this king was waiting for better proof, he thought, and so his officers suggested sending out a scouting party. 
And these men, like the lepers, knew that they were doomed, and so they were willing to go. And when they went, they did not find it very difficult to track the Arameans. They followed them, this is verse 15, as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. As they followed the trail, they found a cloak here and a wineskin there and a boot here and an arrow there. This was no tactical withdrawal. This was a rout. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. And once they confirmed the good news, the whole nation entered fully into the joy of finding it. The people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. As joyful as the lepers were when they plundered those first few tents, the joy of God's people was not complete until the whole company of them went and despoiled the camp. This story is similar to the story of a man whom Jesus healed. It was a man who had leprosy, which is not insignificant, because we often find that God's grace is for the needy, and it comes first of all to those who are unclean. Like the lepers we've been reading about, this leper went to Jesus and he begged him for healing. He had nothing to lose. So he went to Jesus and knelt down on his knees. And then filled with compassion, as we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, Jesus asked this man to keep things quiet. But instead, this man went out and began to talk freely, spreading, the Scripture says, the news. He was so full of joy over the good news that he could not keep it to himself. And although I suppose it was not right for him to ignore Jesus' instructions, one suspects that this man became a very effective evangelist, for he felt the urgent necessity of sharing good news. We ourselves will not become effective evangelists until we have that same sense of urgency and of joy. Not long ago, one of our college students told me how he was studying with a friend. And the friend was not a believer, and as the student sat there, he was simply reveling in the joy of his salvation. He wanted somehow to convey this to his friend, and so he simply said, I want you to have this joy that I have. And his friend said, okay, tell me how I get it. And that's a very natural response, for joy is contagious. The most effective evangelist is always a joyful Christian. Now, before we leave this passage behind, I must tell you that this news was not good for everyone. For one man, the good news turned out to be bad news, and his example shows, and this is our final point, the deadly mistake of rejecting good news, the deadly mistake of rejecting good news. And it happened like this, reasons that aren't made clear, the king blamed Elisha for the famine. And as he walked around in his 
sackcloth, he said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha remains on his shoulders today. So the king sent one of his officials to kill the prophet, and Elisha, by the spirits, knew that this man was coming, and he barred the door, and this is the message that he finally gave to the messenger and also to the king. It comes in verse 1 of chapter 7. This is what the Lord says, About this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, this was an outrageous prediction. The moment that Elisha uttered these words, remember, vendors were getting 80 shekels for donkey's head. Yet within 24 hours, there would be a complete reversal of the market and bushels of grain would be selling for pennies in the gates. Well, apparently the royal cabinet had dealt with economists before. The king's chief of staff knew that financial forecasts are not always reliable. Where would they get a supply big enough to drive the prices all the way back down? And so the officer, who was the king's right-hand man, said to Elisha, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? This man thought that even if manna came down from heaven, even that would not be enough to save them. Now, you see, he heard the good news, but he rejected it. He doubted God's saving power, and so he came under God's curse. Elisha answered, you will see this with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Everything Elisha said came true, as God's word always does, both the good news and the bad news. The Israelites went out, they plundered the Arameans, and they brought back the food, and by noon it was back to business as usual. An abundant supply of food was selling at a discount. And when the market stabilized, Elisha's price was right. A seah of flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Now what about the officer? Did he live to see this day? Yes, he did. Did he get to eat any of the food? No, he did not. He was trampled by the hungry mob. Now, the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. You see, the good news meant life for some, but truly death for others. And the same must be said about the good news about Jesus Christ. It is life for some, but in the end it proves to be death for others. Rejecting this joyous gospel is a deadly mistake. This is what Jesus meant when he compared himself to a great stone. He said, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. It's a way of saying that anyone who builds a life on his foundation has built solidly. Then Jesus says this, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls will be crushed. And that is a way of saying that anyone who rejects this Jesus will be crushed by him in the end.
Once there was a man who refused to believe the good news about Jesus Christ. His sister, whose name was Jereen, often spoke to him about spiritual things. Nevertheless, he never believed the good news of the gospel, at least as far as any person on this earth knows. And as he was drawing his last few breaths, this man must have seen a vision of angels, or perhaps more likely a vision of demons. For his dying words were these. So Jereen was right after all. One can imagine that the same chilling thought must have gone through the mind of this official as he was caught in the gate in this last stampede. So Elisha was right after all. So I say to you who have heard the good news about Jesus Christ this very day, the good news that everyone who believes in him and trusts in him will receive eternal life. I pray, I pray you, do not be found trampled at heaven's gate at the last day. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we recognize that every time we deal with spiritual things that it is a weighty matter. Truly, this good and joyful news that we have heard again today is a matter of life and death. So in the quietness of our hearts, we ask that our Lord Jesus would save us from sin and death at the last day, and that we ourselves might be found faithful not only to believe this good news, but also to share it, so that others also might have this joy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. 
Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.